I'm Steve Cuff, and joining me today, Adam Myros. Uh, what a sensational evening. <laughs> Sean Glennis. Uh, did you know an eight is a sideways infinity sin? I, I did not. I just You just blew my mind, man. I should get that tattooed on my arm. Uh, and, of course, we have our esteemed guest returning once again. Jake Trapil is here. Thank you, Steve. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm doing okay. Uh, well, I mean, you know. Considering what I just had to watch for this week's episode, I suppose I could be better, but we'll get into that. Uh, and before we get into our topic for this week, last week we talked about uh, Clifford, uh, the amazing, well, amazing is one word you could use to describe it, Martin Shore comedy from the early 90s. And Jake, you actually sat down and watched Clifford for the first time, is that right? Well, you know, I thought it was the first time, but it actually wasn't. Um, I was convinced I had never heard of this movie. And then as I sat down and watched it, I was totally remembering it. I had seen it, I don't know, 20-something years ago. And, <laughs> like, I was just watching it, and all of a sudden, you know, the kid falls out of the window and lands on adult priest uh, Clifford, and I totally remembered that. And then I remember him bringing down the airplane while clutching his toy dinosaur. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my God, I've seen this movie before. And back when I saw it as a kid, I just assumed it was, like, some old movie in the 60s with some comedian that I was watching, and I don't even know if I finished it, but uh, it was just funny that a dormant part of my brain had awoken after watching Clifford. Was, well, you know, for, for a lot of people, I think, you know, we, we try and repress the memories of, uh, of Clifford, no, but uh, no. that's interesting, though. <laughs> what, did you, what did you think about it, like, watching it now? You know, I actually enjoyed it very much. Um, a lot of the things you guys had pointed out, I think the, the two bits that made me laugh the most is where... Um, Grodin says, can you look at me at like a human boy? And he <laughs> starts making those faces. And then um, what also made me laugh was the uh, uh, the voicemail he had. Hi, I'm not home right now, but there's a bomb under the White House. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think... I, I wish I wish I could just get like a YouTube supercut of all the parts of Clifford that I that I really liked because then I wouldn't have like the the crippling anxiety from watching Groden slowly lose his mind in the movie. <laughs> yeah, he does go you know crazy, but I think he leaves the film with some with you know some dignity, which is saying something. <laughs> all right, well I, I'm I'm glad you liked it. I'm glad you uh you, you dove into it. We've got yeah. another Clifford convert on the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> yeah, all right, well. I'm, What's yeah. that, Chuck? No, that was Myros. Oh, it was Myros? Sorry. The wrong face popped up. That wasn't me at all. That's a total lie. It was No, I was just saying I was surprised that I had remembered parts of it from before. Yeah, that is kind of weird. I can't yeah. really... I guess I haven't seen a movie that's done that to me, but I suppose there's something, like, you know, if I, if I were to watch, like, Land Before Time 4 or something like that, I'm sure I would remember something from it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Strange movies from my childhood. Um... Yeah, I don't know what that weird thing was. Maybe it's the ghost of Steve Coleman coming to haunt us. <laughs> I think we did him a solid. Uh, he's he he's taking the week off, and uh, yeah, he's dead. I killed him uh, because I gave him a choice. I said, you can watch uh, Wayward Pines and Sense 8, or you can let me bludgeon you over the head repeatedly until you're dead. And he took the latter. So, uh, yeah, so this week we thought we'd kind of take a dive into some of the new TV shows that have come out in the last year or so. Uh, specifically ones 
that have taken established film directors and kind of put them in this writer-producer-director role and kind of given them the reins on their own TV series. And this isn't a completely novel concept. I mean, we have things like... Um, why am I blanking? Oh, my God. Twin Peaks. Thank Twin you. Peaks. That's what I was going for. <laughs> I actually have it, like, written down right next to me. Things to talk about, and I was just staring at it blankly. It's been a good day. <laughs> That's what Sense8 does. Too. Yeah, letters make words, and, and words make sense. So, yeah, I mean, so Twin Peaks happened, and also we're kind of in this era of prestige television, so we see a lot of directors, you know, crossing over and maybe doing a few episodes. Game of Thrones has had some kind of big-name directors do a few episodes. I'm sure many other shows have done the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, but these shows in particular are kind of interesting just because these are some directors who have sort of fallen off the horse, so to speak. They uh, they really haven't made anything critically acclaimed in quite some time, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, and also it's interesting because I think in the past there was this idea that if you were a, a film director, like that was that was the ultimate thing to do. And now it seems like some of these directors are going back and they're saying, no, you know, TV is going to give me more of a chance to explore these worlds I want to create and you know, kind of work with a bigger picture. Uh, the first one I want to talk about is Wayward Pines, which is written, produced, directed by M. Night Shyamalan. Is that right? I don't did think he, he did. He write anything? No, sure no, he didn't write it. He didn't write it. Okay, did. and I know it's adapted from a book that I didn't read and have no interest in reading. Uh, so, okay, well, anyways, this is this is sort of his baby, and his name's plastered all over it in all the promos leading up to the show. You, you can't really miss it. Uh, Myros, I know you're you're not much of an M Night Shyamalan guy, even though I'm I'm pretty sure you with your last dying breath, say, Signs was pretty good. It was. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what have you thought of Wayward Pine so far? Uh, well, it, it's definitely kind of uh, Shyamalan-y, uh, that's for sure. Uh, it's really hinging on its big reveal, which is a staple of the director. Uh, it's not It's not terrible. It, they managed to uh, really accrue kind of an impressive cast for... This sort of a uh, network dump, summer dump. Uh, so you would think that uh, you wouldn't see all these uh, actual movie people in the film, but I, they managed to kind of uh, have a mini reunion with uh, Terrence Howard and, and Matt Dillon from uh, the seminal film Crash. Uh, <laughs> what we've all been waiting for, right? Uh, it's it's kind of a fun show. It's not good, but it's it's kind of fun, and uh, outside of Matt Dillon, I think there's quite a few decent performances. Uh, you've got uh, Toby Jones is pretty great, and uh, Hope Davis, excellent in the show, and there's things to like, and it's it breezes by. It's it's very airy summer television. I I'm I'm not going to complain about it particularly. Yeah, when it, when I first started watching, and it opens uh, somewhat on like this coffee shop called the Excellent Bean. Um, I, was, I was a bit worried, and in those first two episodes, I still think like it was totally all over the place. Um, it's kind of it's, it definitely steals a lot from Lost um, in a lot of ways. Um, but it also had like this American Horror Story type stuff, and obviously like re- resembled the village. And so I was just kind of like, th- like just annoyed. Plus, it, it feels like you know that whole uh, Twilight Zone X Files feeling as well. 
Sure, sure. I, yeah, I think I think that's a, a fair comparison. Except we, we've mentioned a lot of things that have gotten high praise, and I, I don't think uh, Wayward Pines really comes close to hitting the mark. And good God, <laughs> I mean, t- uh, Terrence Howard is fine. All these guest people are fine. And, and spoiler really? alert: if if uh, if some people if some people can act on the show, if someone can act, they're gonna die in like five minutes. That's kind of the rule of thumb. I I, I more or less agree with you, but not on Terrence Howard. I used to be a big Terrence Howard fan, circa Hustle and Flow, but um, I he has this line um, in the second or third episode where he's like, how many times do I have to tell you this is my town? And I just like wanted to scream, how many times do we have to watch you do this? <laughs> it's like, please die. I don't know. I thought he was extremely one-note, which maybe not his fault, but... Uh, so so Matt Dillon and Terrence Howard aren't the, uh, the De Niro and Pacino of television well, drama? Yeah, not exactly. And does Matt Dillon still do anything else? Like, uh, like whenever I see him, I just think that I, I just picture the dude from You, Me, and Dupree and Something About Mary. Yeah, I, he he does kind of have a Something About Mary vibe to him. Like, if the twist at the end of Something About Mary was he actually works for the Secret Service, then that's basically his character. There's there's not a lot of difference. Well, there's a. I mean, the first episode especially, and uh, Terrence Howard's character do their best to evoke Twin Peaks, which is a popular thing to do in television these days. But, like, his Terrence Howard just walks around eating ice cream all day. I, I want to say rum raisin or something asinine. Yeah. And it's just so <laughs> reminiscent of uh, Kyle McLaughlin's pie obsession in Twin Peaks. And it's, like, so obviously self-consciously doing that that it's, it's quite annoying. And uh, I guess Matt Dillon really is reminiscent of... Uh, What's his name? Uh, Matthew Fox in Lost. It's really playing a, a very similar sort in that uh, show. And and uh, other things I noticed were like so it opens like the same exact way with like this eye opening. Um, it does the same exact like fade out to commercial intense music as Lost. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nope. and he he wakes up. He's like you know he's post. Uh, automobile accident and he's you know got some slight scars on his face just like how uh, Jack wakes up and lost and um, I was going to also say with the Twin Peaks connection um, at one point he walks by a bush and or uh, oh no afterwards uh, this is after he gets that receipt tab from the um, Juliet Lewis's character and on the back it says there are no crickets in Wayward Pines which reminded me of the um, message in Twin Peaks which was the owls are not what they seem and, yeah, uh, definitely. I was thinking the exact that that moment was like hardcore Twin Peaks aping. <laughs> and I would also connect it probably with um. There's this old '60s show that I love called The Prisoner, where um uh a secret agent wants to quit and he's all of a sudden finds himself on this uh on this village, seemingly in the middle of nowhere and he has no means of escaping and the you know the town is like kind of you know hiding something from him and he's like just kind of. Get, tries to get to the bottom of it essentially, and that's a lot of you know what I'm seeing with uh, Woodward Pines that Matt Dillon's finds himself in this town and everybody's harboring a secret, but nobody will tell him what it is. Sure, sure. Well, the prisoner sounds a lot more interesting, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> with Wayward Pines, though, the one thing that I have to give give it credit for is even if I didn't know that M Night Shyamalan was involved, and I just had to guess, you know, if someone was just like, oh, who do you think uh, you know is uh, doing this show? I would guess him without hesitation. It's got his grubby fingerprints all over it. Uh, And the best part about his stuff is 
it always starts off kind of interesting. Like there's always this little moment of intrigue. So it's like if you have a piece of paper and you're doodling a tornado, you know, with a pencil, and it starts off smart and interesting, and then as it goes on, whether it's a movie or in this case a TV series, it just distills down to pure stupidity in just every way, shape, and form. And that seems to be where we're going with this one. See, I I uh, am somewhat of the, the inverse. <clears throat> I um, didn't have much hope for it in the first couple of episodes, but then I maybe I just bought into the stupidity and started enjoying it. But uh, I, I think one of the smarter things it does um, to keep me interested is to have a reveal like every episode and actually like pull down, pull away some of the layers instead of just like piling on and then pulling the rug out. Mm-hmm. Uh, perhaps you didn't see the last episode because it really lost momentum after it's a big future reveal. Spoilers! It's, it's, no, it's the future. <laughs> oh yeah, it's four thousand something. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I have a, a sinking suspicion that there might even be another twist coming because we're only five episodes in and there's still five to go, and I don't think the the remaining episodes will just be about, you know, it being in the future. I think sure. there's something else probably coming, knowing Shyamalan. And uh, apparently, from what I read on the on the Fox um, website for the show, uh, the the focus of the second half of the, the series is, is um, on the teens, um, and sort of their initiation into the civilization. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, well, how that, do you guys feel about that? See, that doesn't shock me. Like, I get a really strong uh, YA vibe out of this. Like, oh, I, sure. I feel like this would almost be, like, I'm kind of surprised they went this route with it with the 10-episode miniseries rather than it almost feels like the sort of thing you could have easily transitioned into in a, another yet another YA franchise, like, with I'm not sure about the content of the source material, but it it just feels that way right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and overall, I think um, like there's no character development for me. Like it's all just puzzle and allegory. Uh, it's, it's very much. Uh, on, I tweeted to all three of my followers that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so so everyone everyone you're currently speaking with. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I basically texted you guys. Um, <laughs> That they should have called it uh, Panopticon Pines. Um, <laughs> it seems like a very, you know, a very uh, thinly veiled, um, you know, extended metaphor that of of the sure, metaphor sure. of the Panopticon, where you know there's all this like David Pilcher is always watching you and mm-hmm. creating a self-disciplined civilization that doesn't even need to be watched and one where they they buy into the MO of the power structure and so much that they they don't actually need to be watched and so much that they breed the same belief system into the next generation. Um, so in, in that sense, um, I kind of have some hope for the second half of the season if it's all about the kids. Mm-hmm. But, but uh, hope only in that it'll still being, it, it will continue being like kind of goofy and fun. But I don't, I don't expect to get any sort of character sure. development. See, I, I like Panopticon Pines. I think, you know, the alliteration would do it well, I think. <laughs> I, I did a little bit of reading about the books, not not like plot details or anything like that, but just a, a little bit of reaction from fans of the books, and I think Sean might be happy. I'll probably be less happy with the direction it goes. From what I heard, that the, the basic, like, lost mystery element is kind of central to the first book, and beyond that, it's more of a political allegory, stuff like that, rather than just, like, relying on mystery after mystery after mystery. Mm-hmm. Huh. Well, and one thing, I I do like how it, it always ends on a cliffhanger, and it's watchable enough where I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to stop. Uh, 
but I'm, I'm sort of getting to the point now that we're like five, six episodes in, whatever it is, where I, I'm getting a little confused whether there's like, you know, mystery and intrigue or just gaping plot holes that aren't going to be addressed. And I guess that's something that I won't be able to figure out until I watch the whole thing. But it just seems like the way it's sort of expanding this universe, there's there's a lot of questions that I highly doubt will get answered. Well, what what do you take umbrage with? I mean, I've seen a lot of uh, people taking umbrage with. Again, I guess if we want to summarize a little for for the audience's benefit who has not watched the show, it, the the basic premise is Matt Dillon gets in a car accident, stranded in this town in Idaho, uh, and it's revealed later in the series that this is actually like a fortified town 2,000 years in the future where the world's been overrun by mutant half-humans who want to kill everything, and uh, yeah, so there's that. Uh, They were like cryogenically frozen. But what, what, what do you find to be a plot hole? A lot of the complaints I've heard on the internet are like, how did Terrence Howard capture this person if he's alive then? It's like, well, because he was frozen. But <laughs> I think I, I just I, I have some bigger issues with just like where it's heading. So we know that the doctor guy, he was there. There's a scene with him where he's in like 2014, 2015, whatever, and then he's obviously in the future. So there has to be like he can go back and forth. Is that how it works, or did no, he cryogenically no. freeze himself? Yes, yes. Absolutely. Okay. So there's there's no going back. You're basically in Wayward Pines. Right. Correct. Yeah, I think that every that the issue people have with the chronology is that basically everything they show you in the past is prior to them every character being cryogenically frozen. Okay. And, and I guess the, the know, other thing would be is like why are they so invested in just like indoctrinating the children and and hiding what's outside and not talking about it? Like isn't isn't it fine to say discipline? Self discipline, cuff. I I don't know, man. I'm just saying, like if you're like, hey, listen we cryogenically froze you. This is the future. There's these giant things that will tear you limb from limb, so you might want to stick around. I'd be okay with that. Uh, I I'd think probably go, yeah, you know, that's a good idea. Well, it seems to be that the whole book series slash TV miniseries is existing solely for the purpose of ham-fisted political allegory, so I, I don't know if... Uh, right. It would work to uh, just tell no, everyone. You're, no, you're right. It, it wouldn't. It wouldn't work. It wouldn't work because you got to have you know your guys spraying the graffiti and you got to have the public executions and all that shit. But I'm just saying, like, you know, I think any reasonable person, if they found themselves in that situation, if everyone was just straight with them, it's like, yeah, you know, there's giant monsters. They'll eat your insides. Then I'd be like, all right, cool. I'll stick around. I'm just, I'm just sitting over here wondering why did they freeze people in the first place? Because yeah, that's. That's kind of weird too. It, there's nothing like there's no I don't know if there was like some kind of event that happened back in 2014 that started to turn people or did something. He, did he turn? So he, um, I know that David Pilcher says that um, uh, I believe the sentence is something like uh, these creatures have evolved to less than human. Um, but did he actually turn that one dude into one of these monsters? Is that what he did? Did what he, what did, guy are you referring to? Um, I think it's the black dude that Terrence Howard kidnapped or something, and then they were all like watching, watching like the machine, hmm. and then it kind of like faded out. <clears throat> I couldn't tell because it also looked similar to the cryo- cryogenesis machine, but um, 
I, if there's a twist coming, I feel like that's it. Like, hey, Toby Jones actually like created these Abbey normals. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of those, uh, on a superficial note, did anybody else um, when like so right before Terrence Howard when they first see the 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 creatures and you see it like moving in the background, um, did anyone else think it was extremely reminiscent of that? Alien in signs, like the most famous Shyamalan sh- shot. Shyamalaman? <laughs> but like, the the shot that I guess he gets the most praise for in, in signs. Is it the one at the at the little kid's birthday party? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that was, yeah, it was yeah. reminiscent of that for yeah. sure. It wasn't as effective as that, but... Uh, no, yeah. no. Well, when all you can think of is another shot. Is yet. <laughs> well, all I think of whenever they show these Abbey normals is the descent. I'm like, hey, look. Yeah, no, that's. I was just about to say <laughs> yeah. that. It's like, yeah, what if the descent monsters were a little shittier? There you go. <laughs> just shitty descent. Maybe they take place in the same universe. That would explain a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's got to be it. That's the next by. twist. <laughs> Neil Marshall jumps in. Well... I mean, is is this something people should be watching? Is is it worth it? It's it's only ten episodes, so and you know, it's it's not a huge chunk of your life that you'd be giving up. If you want something kind of pulpy and goofy, yeah, yeah, I'd agree a hundred percent. I mean, it's not uh, great by any stretch of the imagination, and and Matt Dillon is hamming it up. He's not good <laughs> at all. <laughs> In the, but uh, it's there's not much else on right now. Yeah, give it a shot. Especially, uh, yeah, especially, especially if you really like Hope Davis, but you don't like her French accent from Home Alone. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a good selling point. Yeah, I'd say you know you you come home from work and all you want to do is just like lay on the couch and not think about shit, and you're just you know refreshing Twitter and Wayward Pines is on. That's an okay way to spend an evening. I think it's all right. The other question is, I know they set out to make this like a a, a ten part mini series or whatever. I don't know how well the show is doing, but do you think there's a reason why they chose miniseries instead of just spinning this off into a full-fledged television show? Or a movie, for that matter? That's a good question. That is a good question. I wonder if it has something to do with casting. Like, I, They might not have been able to draw what they have if they were a uh, full series order or something like that. Well, I, I wonder if, the, if it does do well <clears throat> enough that uh, they'll extend it or create a, a sequel. Yeah, I, I'm guessing that would probably be the direction that they would head in because I, I don't think that there's a single network in the entire world that would turn down money. Um, I just thought it was interesting to start it off as a miniseries because, I mean, there aren't very many miniseries, especially in the last like decade or so because uh, in the last 10 to 15 years, they're just not profitable at all. I would I would say it's a miniseries probably because of the casting but also because um, of the source material just by sticking only to, to, I don't know how many books it's based off of, um, but just sticking to the novels, you know, they can make something that's more self-contained and eventually, not like Game of Thrones, where they eventually surpass the source material and have to keep adding stuff to it that, you know, was not previously established. Yeah, Yeah. and also not very good for that matter. (laughs) Yeah, that too. (laughs) But I guess that's another story. Uh, Okay, so yeah, Wayward Pines, watch it. Why not? You, You don't have anything better to do. There's nothing on right now. What are you doing with your life? Watch Wayward Pines. Uh, the other show... <laughs> Good Lord. Oh, jeez. Uh, <laughs> I just, can I just take a second here? Okay, so... I this was a bad idea. I knew this was a terrible idea. <laughs> my thought was, 
how bad could it be? How bad could it be? I've sat through plenty of things that were terrible. And you know what? You grin and bear it. It's only a few hours of your life. How bad could it possibly be? You're like, hey, I kind of like Speed Racer. That was that was fun, right? Yeah. So, of course, we're talking about the Wachowskis and their show, Sense8, which, before we even get into it, here's my first problem with Sense8. And this is very superficial, but it was driving me nuts. So, when you look it up on Netflix... It says sense, and then there's the number eight. But the people in the show are called sensates, as in sense with, like, A-T-E-S after it. Did, mm-hmm. it was, why? why? Why did you do that? I don't know. Is it also so, supposed to allude to, like, senseis? I, I, maybe? There's lots of, like, weird Eastern philosophy. Uh, it's so hard to describe. I think we should all go through... Okay, so do do your quick pitch. Your friend is like, hey, have you seen Sense8? And you're like, yeah. And they go, oh, what's it about? What do you say? So I told Myros the other day, the closest approximation I can think of is if you bought 100 televisions and 100 DVD players, you took your entire movie collection, turned them all on at the exact same time, and then every once in a while, a naked guy would just walk through the room in front of you. <laughs> So it's basically every movie ever with more gratuitous dong than you've ever seen before. And pull out all your Four Non Blondes albums. And <laughs> yeah, that's also yeah also have uh, Four yeah. Non Blondes queued up on the record player. I, since you're not going to use it, I'm going to use your your other pitch, Steve, which is um, the visual approximation of a Mars Volta album. Yeah, that's that's another thing too. Which again, when I was just you know getting upset over the the name of the show versus what they're actually called in the show. The other thing I noticed was the name of the first episode is something completely ridiculous. Do you remember like what it is? Lucid, it's like Lucid Resonance or... Yeah, something or like, like that. It, it sounds like a Mars Volta album. And in the exact same way, when you see a Mars Volta album and you listen to a Mars Volta album, you're like, you know, there's a lot of talent here, but all these guys are doing are jerking off. And that's pretty much what it is. They checked out a thesaurus from the library, but don't know how to speak English. Yeah. They, uh, they went to the uh, Latin word generator and just pulled out a few of their faves. Uh, Myros, how would you describe Sense8 to just a random passerby? Oh, God in heaven. Um, that, that would actually do, I think. <laughs> uh, eight people uh, become connected and fight with karate and have sex with each other. So it's like Crash, but with karate? And sex. Lots of sex. <laughs> okay, that's that's but, uh, fair. But they they they're all beautiful too. They they have to be the beautiful people. I just kept waiting for the show to like cut to some asshole like jerking off in front of a computer. <laughs> it has to be all beautiful, interesting people who are connected. <laughs> well, that's that's actually that's one thing worth noting is a lot of people have commended and rightfully so they've commended the show for having a very diverse cast. Like this is probably the most diverse cast ever in the history of a of a TV show. And at the same time it's kind of funny because you know, we got the whole United Nations present, but they're all like supermodels. It's ridiculous. I've never seen so many good looking people on screen at once. Yeah. I don't know, Crash had a pretty diverse cast. <laughs> a lot of good-looking people in Crash. Like Matt Dillon. Like Matt Dillon. And Terrence, actually, Howard. Terrence Howard. And Terrence Howard, yeah. <laughs> Jake, this, is actually, uh, yeah this is actually a Crash-themed episode. Surprise. Jake, what, what's, your, um, what's your pitch? Is it Crash? Um, Sense8, my pitch, uh, it's just a load of fuck. 
is what it is. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Um, yeah, you take eight, you get Cloud Atlas, and you mix it with, you put it in a blender with heroes, and you combine multiple people from different cultures, genders, races, and sexual orientation, and you add a dash of sugar roast <laughs> and, on the soundtrack, and you got a show. I would say, yeah, I th- like, it felt like the Wachowskis, like, you watched uh, Cloud Atlas, and you're like, hey, obviously they tried to do too much with this. Maybe it'd be interesting if it was, like, spread out more. Uh, and then you watch Sensei, and you're like, nope. 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 <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> no. If I were to extend my elevator pitch, it would be like, are you a stone 17-year-old that loves House of Leaves? Yeah, that that's probably pretty good, too. Well, I, I'm happy that, that Jake mentioned Heroes, because that, that yeah. to me is a really what it is, and Heroes is utter trash. Uh, it, it felt like they set out to make Lost and in a different way than Wayward Pines did. Wayward Pines is... Right. These are almost like a dichotomy of, of Lost. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, they... Like, uh, Wayward Pines is all about the mystery, and Sensei's all about, like, the Lost, like, Lostian-type backstories when but they go nowhere it, it really wanted to be that way but it was so poorly written and it just came across as yeah it was like this is really really similar to heroes which i had zero patience for and would never sit through again <laughs> <laughs> it also has a similar aesthetic mhm mhm yeah i, I yeah. think it, i think it definitely has a similar look very glossy uh, yeah super super glossy and uh, again, it's it's just one of those things. Even when you watch the intro to Sense Eight, you gotta wonder how much money did Netflix spend on this? It looks so expensive, and it just oh god, it gives me an ulcer just thinking about it. But but not in a good way. Like it, it was just like here's here's a blank check, just do whatever the fuck you want. And I have to say, they pretty much covered everything. Every single genre trope, everything you could possibly imagine is in yeah. this show. And My just favorite. when I thought they wouldn't touch on something, right right, right away in episode two, what do we get? Oh, a Bollywood song and dance number. <laughs> oh, yeah, God. that's when I turned that episode off, actually. <laughs> but my, that's, that's probably a good move. My favorite visual trope that they employ is the... Uh, uh, keep in mind, this is the San Francisco character, the uh, blogger or whatever she does, who somehow affords like a multi-million dollar apartment. <laughs> yeah, I, it makes me Next wonder the if the Wachowskis have actually ever looked at an apartment in San Francisco because the yeah the giant loft that she has is probably like five million dollars a month. And it looks her. like it would be in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not yeah. great, not great. <laughs> well, and of course that that character too is hilarious because on one hand it's you know pretty progressive to have this transgender character in here and you know we don't see a lot of those, but at the same time, other than the fact that she's transgender. Everything about her is completely like stock blogger hacktivist bullshit. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, that, Myros, Myros, you wanted to go in on that monologue. Oh, yeah. I mean, that character was the most disappointing aspect of the series to me because, I mean, we've seen like a really poignant uh, transgender depictions lately. Uh, Orange is the New Black being a, a prominent one, and I. I I haven't seen Transparent, but I've heard nothing but good about it. And so good. And yeah, Lana Wachowski is a transgender uh, woman, and yeah. thereby you would think this would be like a pretty monumental step in depicting them in media. And the character is—it might as well be like Sandra Bullock in the Net. 
it's yeah. just a really I damn lame. Uh, yeah, a little <laughs> bit of Sandra Bullock from the net and uh, a little bit of Trinity from the Matrix, and that's pretty much what you got there. Yeah, yeah. It seems like the Wachowskis from like I haven't seen the last two, but from like what I've heard from critics, it's like. And, and watching some of this show, it's like de facto progression, where it's like, yeah, it's progressive, like, by fact. Like, we were talking about the cast, but it doesn't, like, do anything that, like, makes people want to, like, learn about, like, other w- walks of life or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think a big part of that, too, is there's so many main characters, so uh, all of the characters pretty much play second fiddle to the Wachowskis, like, insane philosophical rambling bullshit of a plot. So <laughs> there's yeah. there's no room to develop or really explore these characters at all because there's just there's too much going on. Yeah, the only arc I really connected with was I, I did enjoy the, uh, and I've heard it be criticized more than anything, was the um, uh, telenovela star and his lover and the like. That guy. I, see, I was I was endlessly entertained by that one portion of the show, and that was about it. <laughs> Myros has always had a soft spot for handsome Latinos. It did it for me, i got to say. Awesome. Uh, I got to apologize the, real quick. The Van Damme thing, the Van Damme thing on paper is like tailor-made to be an entertaining subplot for action movie aficionados, but it was, oh, it sucked. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do, you, do you guys, do you hear all this hammer banging that's going on in the background right now? Is that coming through at all? No. Okay, I hear nothing. Uh, they, they ripped up all the carpet in, in my apartment complex and in the hallways and shit, and they're just like, putting in new carpet right now, so I just, somebody's just smacking a hammer against the wall repeatedly. Uh, It's like a bed bug scenario or something? Uh, No, I think (laughs) the carpet, I don't think it's been changed since, uh, like, 1930. They uh, they, they pulled it up, and there there was actually, there was no carpet padding underneath it, it was just dust. Whoa, 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 As as you're saying this, the carpet in my apartment is getting pulled, too. Wow, that's exciting. You don't have an apartment. It's almost like Imagine if we were in a car crash. <laughs> yeah, uh, wait, what year is it? <laughs> <laughs> wait, some look, guys. Look at, look at this order I have. It's from the year four thousand ninety-six or something. I want four thousand ninety-six. Anyway, Kung Fu. Uh, I've got like a bully I'd like to address. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say I want to see a version of this show where they're just using like this connectedness for like the most trivial things, like playing video games to each o- with each other or something. <laughs> uh, did you see this version of the show? <laughs> using it for pretty fucking trivial things. <laughs> did how much did you guys watch of this whole show? Just curious. Four, four episodes. About, about halfway. I watched oh, the fine. I watched the entire series. Uh, unfortunately. Oh my god! Yeah, I did too. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, why don't so, you guys dive into the uh, the wonderful things that Sean and I missed? Yeah, Jake. I guess I would. Uh, one thing I was I was hoping somebody else got through the whole thing because I was hoping that uh, someone could try and describe the arc of the season. I wish I, I sure can. <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, it's okay. I have notes here. Hang on. Um, <laughs> I mean, first of all, uh, Steve, did you see the uh, did you see the orgy sequence? Uh, no, I did not see an orgy. Okay. Although it could yeah. have been on, and I was only half paying attention because that happened a lot. Yeah, I think there was only like a few moments. Like I was kind of half paying attention to most of it, and then something happens, like this weird orgy sequence where everyone else all around the world starts having sex, and then they all just imagine they're having sex with each other. Oh. Um, yeah. 
but essentially what we have here is uh, there's a group of people who are all born on the same day. They're called a cluster. Um, there's eight of them. And they all have psychic powers, and all they can do, they can do something called sharing or visiting. And visiting is where they can uh, telepathically communicate with someone, and sharing is where they can possess their body and do things. Like, for example, a cop could possess somebody who's not a cop and pick a set of handcuffs off of them. And there's a guy named Mr. Whispers who is uh, <laughs> after them. Is he a cat? Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> I don't know, and uh, they are, yeah I'm not I'm not quite I don't so that's what they are and they're called sensates which is S E N S A T E S and they were all they were all born when Daryl Hannah uh, killed herself in the first episode and um, then they all have a flashback to the day they were born when they listened to some Beethoven music and I'm not quite sure what their purpose is or why they're wanted but they're on Earth apparently and that's it. Wow. I, I, yeah, <laughs> that's no, actually that's, that's, that's not a bad summary. I think I think you did pretty good. You did better than anybody else managed to. I think. You know, that's a summation of the first season. Like, the villain does nothing. He just shows up and he looks like Donald Sutherland and he's like, uh, "I'm evil. <laughs> I'm gonna lobotomize you, Sense Eights." Well, then, because the, their magic sorry. powers come from their magical brain tumors, right? Yeah, or something, something like, like that. that. Something. I, I like how Daryl. I like how Daryl Hannah is credited at the beginning of every episode. She's in like five <laughs> minutes of the entire series. Every episode, it, the title ends with "and Daryl Hannah." <laughs> and she's not in any of the episodes outside of the first one. Jesus Christ! Yeah. Now, I guess the big question on my mind is: Would Sense Eight be better if Daryl Hannah turned into a mermaid? <laughs> That or was my splash joke. Thank you. Yeah. Or Three years I got it, baby. I yeah. Thanks. Eugene Levy pops in. He he plays <laughs> Mr. Whispers actually. <laughs> Eugene Levy. <laughs> Jesus Christ! This show. I, uh, this I, I should mention. I tried watching this show as like background music while I was doing work, and it, it's not even sustainable as background music. Like that's saying something about it. No. Well, that's because the background music is so abrasive. It's like, hey, you, you, Macy Gray pops in at some point. <laughs> yeah, that was the, that was the orgy song. Spider Man Two. Yeah, oh, I believe God. they. I believe they also use the Gary Jules, uh, friggin' Mad World. I'm like, oh, oh yeah, Christ oh, we'll Almighty. That. Jesus How could Christ. anyone have sex while Macy Gray is playing? Or Gary Jules. Let, let alone eight people at <laughs> yeah. the same time all over the world. I try to say goodbye, but I ch- was it that one? No, no, it was, it was no. something else. It was something else. <laughs> no, I think I don't. I, the most embarrassing thing I've seen in a long time in a show is that Four Non Blondes, uh, Magnolia. Oh uh, God. Uh, scene. That's uh, like the, the scene where they all first start to connect. Is one of them starts singing Four Non Blondes uh, at karaoke night? Uh, that's that's curious that that's when they connect because it's the exact moment I wanted to disconnect my TV. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's what the show's really saying, Sean. It's just, it's just an endurance test to see how much you can take before you finally tune out. Yeah, it's like the Wachowskis are saying, are you sure you want to keep watching? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so well, this bit? So, Jake, I think you said that you watched, you've seen all of their catalog. Um, so how yeah, does this yeah. fit within their recent... Uh, oh, it's, not, 
it's down at the bottom with um, Jupiter Ascending. Wait a second. You watched Jupiter Ascending? <laughs> I sure did. Okay, we're moving on to Jupiter Ascending right now. I need to hear about <laughs> Jupiter Ascending. Which, um, now, look, before, before we get into it, I need to give you my impressions of what I think it is, and then you can tell me what it actually is. Yeah, sure. Has anyone else seen it, or is it just me? God, no. I saw Cloud Atlas. I'm fucking done. <laughs> <laughs> That's the light in the sand. <laughs> I okay, saw so, that, too. So Jupiter Ascending is Mila Kunis is the queen of the universe, and aliens mm-hmm. harvest bodies from Earth so they can stay super young, sexy aliens, and yep. Channing Tatum is a roller skating werewolf, but this has nothing to do with Teen Wolf. Uh, yeah, correct. And um, Sean Bean is half B. He's a bee? bee. Yeah, like, does he a have half... a stinger? No, his name is Stinger. <laughs> <laughs> I swear to God, his name is Stinger. <laughs> oh, my God! Uh, does he execute a splash of any sort? <laughs> no, it's weird, because he looks just like a human, and his eyes glow yellow in one scene, and otherwise he just wields a shotgun, but he doesn't do anything bee-like except control them. But he doesn't even, like, send a swarm after... I think maybe in one scene he does, or like send a swarm after a group of people. But yeah, there's it's this universe where there's like half human, half animal hybrids. Like uh, Chang Tatum, he plays a half wolf man called Kane, and he has these glide boots that allow him to roller skate all through the city skies. And um, Mila Kunis is like this, uh, you know, it's just it's the opening is just awful because it's just like her life is so shitty. Like she cleans toilets with her aunt to make a living. And she's just like, every night she just goes to bed and is like, oh, I hate my life. Why can't it be better? Why and can't then, I be the queen of the universe? Exactly. And there's this <laughs> weird weird alien family, as you said. They harvest humans into this weird uh, sperm lotion that they bathe in so oh. that they can be younger. And one of them is uh, led by Eddie Redmayne, who um, he's pretty lucky they didn't take away his Oscar after this movie came out because <laughs> he puts on one of the worst performances I've ever seen. And... Oh. Uh, yeah, so um, Channing Tatum takes Mila Kunis out to the universe to show her what she really is, and um, there's a lot of explosions. Also, you keep you you keep teasing Sean that his favorite movie is Dune. Mm-hmm. Um, this is. movie not this movie not only makes Dune watchable, but the family that um, Chan- that uh, Eddie Redmayne is a part of their last name is Abraxas. And if I believe the correct name for the planet Dune is Arrakis. That is true. Yeah. Sean, maybe you would get a kick out of this movie then. Might be up your alley. I I just bought it on VOD. (laughs) (laughs) God. Yeah. So they they have to harvest the humans to make sperm. Mm -hmm, Why why haven't we noticed this yet? Like, wouldn't wouldn't you notice the aliens stealing people to make sperm juice? Uh, Oh, no, the aliens, they use use this, uh, like, Men in Black uh, mind flash to make make people forget (laughs) um, that they were there. Like, there's a whole whole fight scene 20 minutes in through the whole city of Chicago, and multiple skyscrapers are destroyed. And then Mila Kunis is, like, driving away to safety with Channing Tatum. And she's like, oh, my God, is this going to be on the news or something? And he's like, no, the people have already forgotten about it. And then it looks back, and you see the aliens are actually repairing the city and, like, flashing everyone so that they forget it. But, yeah, everyone suffers memory loss. That's... Well, did they take everybody's cell phones, too, so there's nothing uploaded to YouTube when the skyscraper <laughs> fell down? Like, what the fuck? That doesn't even make any sense. Speaking of Men in Black, though, a uh, quick shout-out that I forgot to Sugarwater Lady for being in w- Wayward Pines. <laughs> Another That's right. Tie-in. She plays the, um, she plays the, uh, the 
sheriff's. She uh, plays dumb lady, which she yeah. always plays in everything. <laughs> yeah. Just a uh, quick shout out to Will Smith. Uh, he was in After Earth. <laughs> Pretty great. <laughs> Very similar to Wayward Pines in a lot of ways, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah in the, a lot of Shyamalani ways. <laughs> yeah, Jupiter Ascending is just is just fucking bonkers, though. I don't, so do you so think, Myros? Do you think that uh, on the set of After Earth? Um, Will Smith was talking to M Night, and he was just like, "Oh, you know what? You remember that sugar lady? You should you should cast her in something, you know." That sounds uh, pretty reasonable. <laughs> I, see, I can't blame M Night for all of this because basically Hollywood rejected him. He was spit out, uh, and they're like, "Hey, you can't write anymore, asshole." Uh, <laughs> but he so doesn't he have a film, uh, he have a film coming out this year? Uh, I don't know. But if he does, I bet he didn't write it. I'll right. check it out. It seems like he's in Hollywood super jail. They're like, hey, F you, <laughs> asshole. We saw the village. You're never writing again. <laughs> I, I think the bigger question, and it's something we really haven't touched on here. So the Wachowskis, they made Cloud Atlas, which wasn't... Can we, can we talk a little about Cloud Atlas? I mean, that wasn't yeah, on the sure, agenda. Sure, sure. But, but I, I, didn't, I didn't see it, but... Um, yeah. I saw yeah. it. I, I hated it. <laughs> multi-racial, multi-time Tom Hanks, something, something. Halle Berry. Halle Berry, she does stuff. Well, tell Halle us Berry. something about it. Hugh Laurie's in it. Yeah, since since we're talking Sense8, I mean, the, the closest allegory is indeed Cloud Atlas, which, ah, God, I, I don't know how I got suckered into watching this film. I, I've hated the Wachowskis for far longer than, than Cloud Atlas. But... Uh, <laughs> I guess the trailer was kind of intriguing, and I don't know. The premise holds some sort of power, uh, but it's so botched, it's unbelievable. Like It's the most disjointed movie you'll see, and it feels rushed, it feels sloppy. Uh, a good 75% of the plot lines don't work at all. Uh, there's a lot of embarrassing race and age makeup. Uh, it's just, oh, yeah. it, it is a huge monolithic mess. So it's like a time travel minstrel show? <laughs> well, there's no one traveling through time. Us as the viewer are traveling through time and oh, seeing like oh. reincarnation and personified and it's just dreadful. So a minstrel show, colon, then, now, forever. How's that sound? That's my so, tagline. Since we're talking about uh, sort of the similarities between Sense8 and Cloud Atlas, um, do you guys feel like either Wayward Pines or Sense8, uh, since they came from filmmakers or were directed, some some of the episodes directed, produced by a filmmaker, do you feel like either of them like are evident of that? Um, yeesh. You know... It's it's hard to tell, but you can definitely see the respective directors' fingerprints all over these shows. Uh, like yeah. I said with Shyamalan, like it, it it feels like a Shyamalan piece. It the, sure, the pacing's but, all there. But does uh, it feel like a TV show? Visually, yes, I'd say so. Uh, even when it's you know a disjointed mess like Sense Eight, it's it's a bad TV show, but it's still a TV show. Whereas I know a lot of people said when they saw. Um, like the first season of True Detective, a lot of people were like, yeah, it feels more like a film that's been serialized sure. as opposed to a television show. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree. Wayward Pines, though, I think feels way more like a TV show than Sense8. 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and I think I mean it's clear that the Wachowskis don't. Well, they don't understand much of any medium, but they certainly don't understand the medium (laughs) of television. There is no arc to the first season. Nothing happens. There is no main conflict that is resolved in any way. It is amorphous as all get out. It's just a. It is a total mess, and it's not. It. They do not understand the medium at all. So, Mm -hmm. uh, don't watch Sensei. For God's sake, never, never watch Sensei. Yeah, Actually, I, I have another question about the Wachowskis and Sensei here. So, yeah. um, Jupiter Ascending has Channing Tatum, the werewolf. Right. Sensei <laughs> has Officer not Channing Tatum. Uh, do you think they couldn't get Channing Tatum for the show, so they just got the closest approximation to Channing Tatum, who would work for lower wages? Tanning Tatum? Tanning Tatum, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Probably, I haven't. I haven't even heard of most of the cast of Sense8, although it was, I have to admit, it was a pleasant surprise to see Joe Pantoliano pop up in two episodes, because yeah, he, he worked pop. with, um, yeah, he plays uh, he plays Channing Tatum cop father in that show. <laughs> That's actually his title in the credits. Uh, yeah. Yeah, he's not looking so great these days, but, uh, you know, it's nice to see him pop up. Glad he's getting some work. Uh, hey, he can act. Uh, that's better than most of the cast, right? That's a bonus. That's always good. Not that it matters when, you know, the show doesn't care about the characters or really what's going on. Um, the, the other big... Hey, what's going on? <laughs> 25 years in my life is... <laughs> <laughs> and I said, hey, hey, hey. Uh, okay. The other thing that I, I can't wrap my head around. So the Wachowskis, they make The Matrix. They make a lot of money. There's two Matrix sequels. They suck. They still make money. Uh, we find ourselves with, with Cloud Atlas eventually, which is uh, a little bit ambitious to say the least. <laughs> I don't think it completely tanked, but it, I don't think it was a box office smash either. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but call it a hunch. I'm uh, pretty sure it tanked pretty hard, i got to say. Okay. Yeah. Jupiter Ascending, possibly more ambitious, tanked even harder. Uh, Sense eight, possibly even more ambitious. Except and, like there, there isn't as much money involved, right? Like it's it's all wrapped up in subscriptions. <clears throat> sure, sure. I but I guess my my question is, even if it's through Netflix or making a movie, how do people keep giving them money? And are they just like the best like film pitchers of all time? Like do they have the coolest storyboards you've ever seen or something? Like how how do you even give them money at this point? I actually think um. Because of the Matrix and how that made so much money, they actually finance most of their own stuff themselves, which is why, uh, yeah, they're they they act as producers on everything they do, which is why they um they keep making things. Otherwise, right. otherwise, yeah, it, otherwise, you know, they would have been stopped a long time ago. So uh, Jesus, I I just wonder, like, how sustainable is this? Like, how long can you suckle at the teat of the Matrix before it runs dry? Uh, I think that was answered quite thoroughly by the sequels to The Matrix, but uh, somehow we're still going. Um, yeah. uh, by the way, I, I've just ventured out yeah, they the built IMDb a here. I've just ventured to the IMDb where the budget for Cloud Atlas was $102 million. Jesus and, Christ! What is it, Transformers? <laughs> and the U.S. gross was $27 million. Oh, That's a yes. pretty staggering... Oh, what, what was overseas? 
Uh, I'm not seeing that. Uh, Something tells me it didn't play later. well in like Asian countries where oh, Tom yeah. Hanks has Asian makeup on. Yeah, for China, sure. China also made about 27 million, which is the biggest one. Okay, 130 million worldwide. So it actually hey, it made its money back, right? Uh, yeah. So I'm, Jupiter Ascending cost 176 million to make. Jeez, holy uh, Christ! It made 47 million in the U.S. and then it made 134 overseas, so that's 181 total. Wow! So if you okay. don't account for marketing, it uh, I guess has a profit of four million dollars. God damn! So hey, kids, money. just remember, uh, cinema is a global market, and even the biggest idiots <laughs> can make money. Wow! Yeah, apparently everything makes money these days. Just case, thank you, China. So <laughs> shout out to China. So looking forward to Transformers 29. Uh, were there any other shows that we were going to sort of like reel in uh, as like other reference points for shows that were, you know, directed or created by film directors migrating? I think we could. Now I haven't I haven't really watched it, so I can't speak on this. But maybe you guys can. But I, I think we could rope True Detective into this, mm-hmm. for better true, or worse. True Detective is almost. It's an interesting comparison. I mean, I think Kerry Fukunaga, who directed uh, the first season of True Detective. Kind of, I mean, he'd done some cinema, like uh, Jane Eyre and a couple other things, I think. But uh, he's kind of launched his career as a major director based on True Detective, which is kind of the opposite phenomenon, which is also very interesting. And then you see in True Detective Season 2 where uh, he's been replaced by the total opposite, uh, Justin Lin, who made his name with the Fast and Furious franchise. Uh, well... Yeah. Actually, Justin Lin started out with the um, the first. He made the first Saw movie, and then he did Insidious one and two and The Conjuring, and then he got Fast and Furious seven. Well, uh, I think, isn't that James uh, Jake, Wan? Yeah, Jake, that's James Wan. Justin Lin did Fast and Furious three through six. Well, you know, Justin. Oh, that's Lin, right. I'm he, sorry, uh, I fucked up. Okay. Justin Lin rose to prominence on the New York Knicks, and he's been sort of languishing in uh, Houston. And... <laughs> Wait, that never oh, aired. Oh. That, that's, been, that's been redacted from history. <laughs> this is interesting, though, um, in this context, because uh, when I was... So I just finished the uh, the premiere of the second season of True Detective, and uh, it has these, like... Between this and the, and the first season, um, it has these really interesting moments of what I'm used to calling filmmaking um, that I don't see on TV shows a lot. Um where they're like completely contingent on how successful mood is cultivated. <clears throat> um, like so, there's a scene where um, Colin Farrell, like ru- you see him run into this apartment, but the camera's stationary, and sort of you you have to discern what's going on, and, and it's just interesting and and uh, well made, but it's just not supported with any interesting characterization. Or when it is interesting, it's overshadowed with like limp penis existential masculinity. Uh, which is which is quite literal in this premiere, um, oh, considering uh, considering Taylor Kitsch's character. All yeah. right. Well, you know, I, I wish more directors, and I I'm guessing this is going to be a trend because again we talked about you know age of prestige television here. I, I really hope more directors do make the jump to TV series and miniseries and things like that, uh, whether it's for Netflix, Hulu, or you know whatever, uh, because yeah, there's there's been some really successful, interesting things, and obviously some shit, but uh, another one is Lars von Trier's The Kingdom, which that's from the early 90s, mid-90s? 
Is yeah. that right, Myros? Yeah, you're right in there. I think like 93, 94. Which is an incredible show. It's super, super weird. Uh, and, of course, there's only two seasons, and the final episode of the second season ends on a cliffhanger. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's gonna, you're you're going to be a little upset when you finish it. But it's, it's definitely something worth checking out. It was on Netflix for a while. I'm not sure if it's still there, though. It's no. not. It's not. Uh, yeah, and unfortunately, the main the main guy, Stig Helmer, is uh, dead. So oh. <laughs> uh, you're, they had long talked about a season three, but that that's not gonna ever happen. So that's um, a bummer. Yeah. I, wanna, I just wanted to comment real quick about the director of um, True Detective. Season one was uh, every episode was exclusively directed by Kerry Fukunaga, but this season um, there's a different director for nearly every episode. It looks like. Oh, is, is Justin Lin not doing the whole series? He's not doing the whole series. He's only doing like two episodes, I believe. Hmm. Ah. Yeah. Well, I'm okay with that. There was a moment in the pilot for season two, which was kind of the big uh, dramatic flourish, which was when uh, Taylor Kitsch and Farrell and uh, Rachel McAdams like met around this... World they looked at each other. Yeah. Where they, and, where they, drunk, drove, they drunk drove to an accident. Right, yeah, they all drunk drove to this uh, crime scene. And the way Justin Lin manipulated the camera, I swear to God, it was like this sweeping thing where it, like, panned over all of their faces, and I kept expecting, like, it to pan over Vin Diesel next. It was just, <laughs> I mean, I, it was just, I just rather wanna, ridiculous. I want to uh, quickly go, go into this episode a little bit. But, so um, I mentioned that they were all drunk, and previous, <clears throat> previous to them meeting up, Colin Farrell and Vince Vaughn are getting Johnny Walker Blue bottle service at a dive bar. <laughs> well, 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 Vince Vaughn says something like, a good woman mitigates our basis tendencies. It, it, which, like, that whole scene, in a nutshell, is why I kind of hate this show. Oh, my but, God. Uh, but in terms of, like, the, the, the filmmaking technique and stuff like that, uh, mixed with this stupid pastiche of... Of whatever, it's like if Michael Mann like read a ton of Dashiell Hammett and Sartre and was just like, "All oh, right, I got a TV show for you guys." <laughs> Literally, guys. <laughs> well, well, Michael oh, Mann's ahead, another guy you could throw on this list because he did uh, with uh, oh, yeah, David Milch. He did he did uh, Luck. Oh, and well, yeah, but he comes from Michael or he comes from Miami Vice. Uh yeah, very true, very true. Yeah. I was I was thinking more from the perspective of a filmmaker who went to TV, but yeah, he, he definitely had his roots in TV as well. Yeah. Uh, I just yeah. remembered one. There's um, Frank Darabont helped produce The Walking Dead, and he even directed the pilot episode. Right, yeah, that that's a, an arrangement that has kind of existed for the last five or six years. You know, you had Scorsese and uh, Boardwalk Empire, but a lot of these shows had, like, a guiding hand behind them. Like, uh, Luck did have David Milch, who's, you know, he he did Deadwood, which is one of the best television series ever made. And, uh, you know, Boardwalk Empire had Terrence Winter, who was uh, one of the main lieutenants on The Sopranos, alongside Matthew Weiner and... Um, Togetherness is the Duplass Brothers. Yeah, that was another one we wanted to talk about. Which, an example which, uh, of this. Yeah, so uh, basically, all I wanted to say is that the the after I watched the pilot, um, which was like a great thirty minutes, but felt so much like the first thirty minutes from filmmakers that weren't sure how to make a TV show. Um, but it, and I also felt the same way about Silicon Valley's pilot, even though Judge Mike Judge has plenty of TV in, in his background, but Togetherness sure figured out the TV medium a lot quicker than. Uh, the Wachowskis. 
Uh, one more thing I want to mention about the Wachowskis is uh, Tom Tykwer. Anyone else on the Tom Tykwer uh, mystified bandwagon here? Like the, the guy's pretty talented. He's a lot more talented than the Wachowskis, to my mind. Uh, Run, Little Run, uh, Perfume, pretty pretty great movies. He's a really visually gifted director, and he's for some reason like chained his wagon to this star <laughs> that's plummeting deep into the sea. So. <laughs> That's a really beautiful way of putting that, Myros. Yeah, I don't know why he would do that. I'm guessing because money. You know? I guess. I mean, I, I mean and, and maybe that's devaluing him as an artist a little bit, but I guess if they're like, hey, you know, do your thing, good or bad, here's a lot of money. Yeah, he's, yeah, he, teaming up with the Wachowskis while, you know, not necessarily making the best films, he certainly has probably more artistic freedom with them producing everything. Sure, sure, because if there's one thing they can't do, it's say no, apparently. Based yeah. on their, uh, their like the last five years, I guess. Yeah, I mean the when we talk about like looking forward to film directors kind of taking part in this return to TV like Fukunaga. I mean, I look at it in a way that I look forward to young directors getting the opportunity to do this. I don't look forward to a bunch of old stodgy idiots who uh, have burned out of the film industry like Shyamalan and the Wachowskis. Uh, just like slumming in TV because it's it's just painful. I I I have enough trouble watching two and a half hours of this shit, much less uh, twenty. <laughs> well, I have uh, I have one last question for you guys. So we talked about a lot of directors who crossed over to TV. Are there any directors who you'd like to see take on a TV show as like a writer, producer, director? Yeah, I want to see um, <clears throat> whoever directs uh, the. Um Jerry Seinfeld webisode thing. I want them to do the next season of True Detective and call it Actors in Cars Getting Pensive. <laughs> <laughs> I'd watch that. I'd watch that. Myros, how about you? Boy, that that's a good question. Uh, not especially that I can think of. I, I don't feel like there's any directors I love who I feel like are, are getting stifled. I guess maybe you could... Uh, go with someone like, uh, what's his name, Jonathan Glazer, who I feel like has a lot of trouble getting projects off the ground. Mm-hmm. So uh, maybe it'd be interesting to see if he was given more creative freedom in the television. Sure, sure, okay. Jake, how about you? Um, I'd like to see a, sh- a series by Jim Jarmusch. I think that could be interesting, because he, he likes to take his time t- just having a movie um, play out and I think, it, I don't know, what he could do with a TV show. I'm just looking at a list of directors I like. <laughs> um, well, I, I guess the question about Jim Jarmusch would be, you know, does does his story flow more naturally because he's got more space to kind of, you know, let it breathe, or does each episode just sort of, like, drag along? That's a good point. I, I don't know. My my real Well, first of all, we forgot to mention that uh, Woody Allen's TV series is coming out on Amazon sometime soon, which he's reportedly said he's hated every minute of working on. Um, oh. but, uh, I'd like to think Woody Allen hates every minute of everything he does. Yeah, true. But uh, my, my real answer is um, I'd like to see, not, not necessarily direct, but uh, write and develop, I'd like to see a Charlie Kaufman TV show. Well, that almost, that almost existed, but uh, FX passed in the pilot. Synecdoche, New York, the show. That'd go over well. Big ratings, big ratings. That would be uh, he, fun to watch. Hey, he wrote a, he wrote a pilot. Uh, it got passed over by one of the more progressive networks on TV. So, uh, huh. Do, yeah. is, the, is the script online for the, the pilot? Can you read it? 
I do not know. I haven't gotten that far along with the process. Huh. Might have to hunt that one down. I got a couple, actually. Uh, the first is my old standby, uh, Neil Marshall, who uh, I don't know if anyone wants to give him a movie at this point, and he's been uh, directing like episodes of Game of Thrones and stuff, so it seems reasonable. And then I also wouldn't mind seeing John Carpenter try something, uh, if, if you know, just for the music alone. <laughs> Uh, and obviously he hasn't made a quality movie in a while, but he's... I know Steve has apparently not seen anything John Carpenter's created in the last 20 years. Hey, what so. about that? Uh... If 80s Carpenter made a move or made a show, yeah. I'd watch it. Yeah, were there, the show. were there a time machine? We could have John Carpenter get in on it. Well, you know, I just just give the guy a shot. Give the guy a shot. He's like 100 years old. His new album's really good. It is. It is. But he doesn't want a shot. They like asked him about that. Big Trouble Little China remake, which The Rock wanted him to write or something. He was like, I don't give a fuck. I wouldn't, I wouldn't <laughs> touch it unless it gave me a bajillion dollars. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. I'd, I'd watch a Noah Baumbach series in a heartbeat. Oh, that's fair. That I would definitely yeah. be into that. That's another one too, where it's like I love like Noah Baumbach and Jim Jarmusch is cool, and uh, you know, I, I just it makes me wonder if I could handle the. I don't know, just the unlikable characters for that long. Like I like when they're they're contained in little Noah Bombach universes, but they might drive me up the wall. Sure. Well, I feel like like that's why I said Glazer, I guess, because I feel like this should be relegated to people who just have so much trouble kind of making the projects they want to. Like Glazer will go a decade between films, and I feel like that's not necessarily his choice so much as it's just no one's interested in seeing Under the Skin or something like that. And I, I feel like the TV presents an opportunity for these guys. Like, and Lynch, at the time when he made Twin Peaks, I think fit nicely into this category where it was just mm-hmm. like nobody really gave a shit about his films, and so he he kind of found an audience by delving into this other medium. Uh oh, we just lost Jake. He's gone. I'm gonna invite him back in. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, fucking if we're talking about if we're talking about um. <laughs> People who have to, who have to go like decades between uh, you know making their movies. Maybe somebody should give uh, Leo's Carax a shot at making a TV show. Yeah, the Leo's Carax show. Amazing. <laughs> That'd be something. All right, I got Jake invited back in, so we'll see if uh, we'll see if he comes back. I hope so. He's still got to put something over. Yeah. Maybe he's just done with us. He's sick of us. Well, uh, or goes well, to see well, Wait. Um, I kind of wanted to touch on Seinfeld if you guys were game. Yeah, sure. I was actually kind of wondering about that because Hulu has been, you know, bombarding me with advertisements for it. But I, I mean, but why should I watch Seinfeld on Hulu as opposed to, you know, on local network television ten times a day? Yeah, I mean, so I knew that it was going to hit Wednesday this, so yesterday, um, and. I was irrationally excited for the convenience of having it streaming on my Apple TV um, just so I can jump from episode to episode and have it on while I do work and going to sleep. But I say irrationally because I own the entire series on a DVD set that is like one of the most well-put-together packages in DVD history. Mm-hmm. And I'm just too, la- too lazy sometimes to like switch devices and insert the disc. Um, <laughs> even, as a, even as an advocate of you know, physical media. Um, but... Uh, However, I was also excited to see the the HD transfers <clears throat> that uh, they were apparently going to do. And um, but then I was abrasively met Wednesday with uh, their 16 by 9 transfer, um, which transforms it from its original old TV 1.33 to 1 aspect ratio 
which just saying that may sound like nerd gadget spec stuff, but uh, I think there's a lot more to it than that. Um, just like the wire got the same HBO Go treatment. Uh, this this kind of thing is catering to the style of present TV shows, which mm-hmm. look more like movies instead of preserving its traditional TV presentation. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of troubling, but I mean, you're not gonna stop me from streaming it, even though I sure, have sure. already invested like hundreds of dollars in the show. <laughs> well, I was wondering about the wire too, because I know the wire box said. Oh, it is, yeah, it has commercials too. Ah, uh, uh, Hulu, fuck you. <laughs> the The Wire box set, it was. I think they re-released it on Blu-ray now. I mean, it's the same box set, but it's on Blu-ray. So I wonder if, like, you have the option to watch it in its original aspect ratio, or is everything just like you know, changed to 1080p and widescreen? I I don't know. Yeah, I feel like that's for me more of an issue with something like The Wire, where David Simon is a hardcore like. TV disciple, and he like kind of oversaw the framing of every shot and meticulously made it fit in this four three frame. And then they they kind of just he obviously took umbrage with the fact that they were recutting it. I, I don't think that's such an issue with Seinfeld, which it's the meticulous nature of it is on the writing end rather than the framing end per se. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. Always oh, back. Hey. I think maybe. Yep. Hey, Jake. Jake. No, just me. Jake. Just We've got double Sean's. We lost the Jake, but we doubled our Sean's. Oh, <laughs> Google Hangouts. You, you. All right. Well, hopefully Jake will jump back in. But uh, in the meantime, what are you guys putting over this week? Myros, you want to start? Uh, yeah, I I saw this. You know, HBO did uh, start their new lineup, like the the summer B lineup, if oh, you will. You're but, putting uh, over ballers. I, I'm not putting over anything in the summer lineup. Okay, sure. good. Uh, I I tried. I watched True Detective. Was fairly underwhelmed. Thought it was a pretty steep drop off from uh, the first season. And I also tried to watch the uh, Jack Black vehicle, The Brink. Uh, Jack Black and Tim Robbins, if you will. But I I I got about ten minutes in and just shut it off, which made me appreciate all the more the genius that is balancing the political and the wildly humorous that uh, Iannucci pulls off in Veep. So, yes, uh, yes uh, don't watch The Brink. It's, it seems maybe it gets better, but uh, it started off with a real thud. Uh, watch Veep instead. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. Uh, it's great. So um, you're, you're, you're burying uh, one show and putting over another? I am. The Brink, uh, the pilot for The Brink was... Just, uh, it was terrible. So, yeah, it, and it was obviously trying to ride the coattails of Iannucci's work, and it failed mightily. So, hmm. stick with the original. That's funny, because I was going to uh, put over, well, I was going to say I, I did this exact same thing with, with Ballers and turn it off after 10 minutes, and so I was going to denigrate that in favor of Any Given Sunday. Uh-huh. <laughs> wait, wait. Uh, no, no. What, what is this? What, what is it? Oh, I was like, what? Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Oliver Are you Stone. okay? <laughs> is this what Sense8 has done to you, Sean? <laughs> um, no, but uh, that is true about Ballers. I did turn it off after 10 minutes. But I was going to put over uh, what I would consider the antidote to something like this season's True Detective, which is USA's Playing House. Um, so I just realized uh, that this show existed, um, 
It's uh, Lennon Parham and Jessica St. Clair, which are Comedy Bang Bang alums. And uh, it's starting its second season in August. So I would say um, you should catch the first season of Playing House um, as soon as possible. It's basically they tried to do this show, BFFs, um, a while back, and somehow something happened, red tape, bureaucracy, Stop them from from making it, um, but it's a really really nice show. It's about these women who are like real life best friends being best friends in this show, and they're just really funny people. Hmm. All right. Uh, I I don't know if Jake's gonna make it back in. Uh, well, so, do your put over. I'm trying to contact the man independently. I'll. Uh, all I'll, right. We'll see I'll what we can pass do. Along, I'll pass along his message for him. So uh, yeah. one of What's these days we're gonna, we're gonna find a replacement for you, Google Hangouts. We'll show you. Uh, okay, so this week I'm going to put over a, uh, a cell phone game, actually. Uh, it's been sucking up most of my free time and the time I spend on the bus. Sounds uh, like a saga. It, it, let me tell you, man. It's very similar to a Candy Crush saga in a lot of ways, which is... Ah, yes. Yeah, now, again, a lot of groaning probably from anyone who's listening, but hear me out. So the name of the game is uh, You Must Build a Boat, and... <laughs> It's sort of like Candy Crush. So in Candy Crush, it's your typical match three games. You game, you have all these tiles, you move the tiles around, you match three, you get points, okay? And you must build a boat, you're on a little boat, and you go to these, like, dungeons, and your little guy runs through the dungeon, so it kind of turns into, like, this side-scrolling, like, dungeon crawler game. And whenever you encounter an enemy, you have to match tiles to, like, do damage or whatever. So... You know, some guys are weak to magic, and some guys are weak to, you know, physical attacks. So whatever kind of tiles you match, like if I match three sword tiles, then I'll do three sword damage or something like that. So you make your way through the dungeon. There's also key tiles, so you can unlock chests and stuff. And then uh, the screen is constantly scrolling, and when the screen scrolls past your guy, you, you're kind of kicked out of the dungeon. So you take the money that you make and the experience of the monsters you kill and you sort of build up your boat and then you can, like, upgrade your equipment and do all kinds of stuff on the boat, too. So it's kind of like candy... The actual candy-crushing aspect of it is is sort of a side note to the bigger metagame of trying to build your character. And it's it's super addicting and it's got that quality of it where you think, oh, I'm just going to play two games of this and then you end up playing, like, 30 or something. So hmm. definitely sounds, worth downloading. It sounds character-building. It is. It builds character. Let me tell you, Sean. I'm a better man now. Uh, but yeah, it's like I think it's only like two bucks or something on the App Store. Totally worth downloading. Jake is not here, so because Jake isn't here, we got to wrap things up. I'm gonna go ahead and you know, uh, Steve. Uh, Jake has forwarded me his put over. Okay, if what's we, he putting if, over? Uh, Jake is putting. He's once again encouraging our listeners to listen to podcasts other than our own. Uh, <laughs> there are other podcasts. This is this well, is uh, insidious sabotage. We prefer you listen exclusively to the Optimism Vaccine <laughs> Network, but uh, in the case you do venture out, Jake would recommend uh, the worst idea of all time, uh, a, a podcast I have heard advertised elsewhere as well, but have not had the courage to check out just yet. We're in a, a couple of gentlemen watch Grown Ups Two every week for a year. Oh, I have heard about that. That's insane. Yes. My God, how could you do that to yourself? I don't oh. know. I saw we saw Paul Blart and uh, its ilk once, and that that was quite enough, right? That was enough. That was so, more than uh, enough. Yeah. God bless these gentlemen for if nothing now, else, their, their now, determination and fortitude. Now they've uh, now they've moved on to Sex in the City two once a week for a year. 
Oh, Jesus. Uh, I don't know how they do it. Well, speaking of marathons that would make, you know, the average man mentally break down, uh, Megan from Optimism Vaccine, who, by the way, actually enjoyed Sense8 for all its lunacy, even though she (laughs) openly admitted that it was a disaster. Uh, She's going to be doing an article for Optimism Vaccine and Shepard Express where she's going to watch all the National Treasure movies for 24 hours straight. Like, nothing but National Treasure. How many are there? Three? I think there's three. Yeah, that's probably like four passes through each or something. Yeah. Yeah, without sleep or anything. So that'll be interesting. I don't know if anything will come from that other than a nervous breakdown, but we'll find out. And speaking of Shepherd Express, you can read Optimism Vaccine on shepherdexpress.com every single week. Uh, We also have our weekly podcast, which you can listen to. Please go to iTunes, rate our show, write a review. It helps people discover us. It would really make us happy. Um... So, yeah, give us five stars or something. Or four if you think there's room to improve, but don't be a dick. Uh, also, you can go to optimismvaccine.com and you can go to youtube.com backslash optimismvaccine, and there's all kinds of wonderful things for you there. Uh, beyond that, kids, I just wanted to say uh, we, we want to get in a little more with the emails. So if you if you send us a message at optimismvaccine at gmail.com, have any uh, feedback, recommendations, anything like that, We'd appreciate it, and and we'll make it happen. You know, you want to hear about uh, X? We'll we'll hap- we'll talk about X and how it relates to Y and Z. Uh, also, Jake has one more message for you folks out there. He sure. loves you. He loves you. He loves you. Jake loves you guys. Mm-hmm.